Good morning. We're glad you're here today. Appreciate so much your presence. We are looking today at John 12, verse 48. Thank you to Cooper for reading our scripture today. First time he's read for us, I think, and did a great job, and we appreciate him. Very proud of him and all of our young men who read on a regular basis. I do want to just very quickly say uh, Happy Thanksgiving to each of you. Hope and pray that you have a safe week, a happy week, that you're able to spend time with family and friends and enjoy this time of year. Always grateful for the opportunity to maybe take a day or two and reflect upon all the blessings that we have in this life. We are looking today at John chapter 12 in verse 48. We're going to be talking about the theme today, Jesus has the last word. How many of you have known someone that always has to have the last word? I suspect that many of us have known people, maybe even somebody very close to us. I'm not going to call names, but it might be that there's somebody very close to you And they always have to have the last word. They've got to get their say in one last time. Well, there are people like that. And yet in John chapter 12, verse 48, the Bible tells us that there is someone who when it is all said and done will have the last word. He will have the last say in matters. That's Jesus. Listen again to what Jesus said in verse 48. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. As I thought about this verse over the past few days, there are a number of thoughts that came to mind, and I I want to just share with you Three very specific things about what Jesus is saying in this verse. Because I really believe that what Jesus is saying here is that He will ultimately have the last word on the last day. I want to begin by saying, Jesus here, of course, is talking about people that reject Him. Not only do they reject Him, but they reject His Word. And so in light of that, I thought about how rejecting Jesus is first of all personal. Now how many times have you talked to people and maybe maybe you've had a disagreement, maybe they've made a decision that didn't coincide with your thinking? It might be the case that they rejected you individually for some reason. And they followed it up up by saying, well, it's not personal. Nothing personal here. When I think about what Jesus is saying here, He who rejects me, to reject the Lord Jesus Christ, that's personal, isn't it? Can you imagine your mate rejecting you and saying, well, it's not personal. It is personal, isn't it? What if your child rejected you as their mom or 
their dad. They said, well, you know what? It's not personal. It is personal. This is the child that you brought into this world. This is the child that you love with all of your heart, soul, and mind. This is bone of your bones and flesh of your flesh. To say that your rejection of me is not personal? It is personal. So what about rejecting the Lord? I really believe when people reject Jesus, it's personal. Because you see, they are rejecting, first and foremost, the loving Savior. When you begin to look at the personal ministry of Jesus, and go back and just retrace the steps of Jesus. Jesus came sharing a message of love, didn't He? In John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus would say, Greater love has no man than this. Then a man laid on his life for his friends. Jesus there talking about his willingness to sacrifice himself because of his immense love for those of us who belong to the human family. In John 3.16, when Jesus is engaged in a conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus said, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son. That's personal, isn't it? It is a message of love. Not only is it a message of love, but Jesus was on a mission of love. The Lord Jesus came to rescue the human family, fallen creation. Didn't Paul say, When we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly? Was it not Jesus who said, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost? Was it not Paul that said, God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? What about Peter when he wrote, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance? Jesus came sharing a message of love. He was on a mission of love. He came to rescue us, to save us. And then I think about that manifestation of love. When you go to Calvary, what do you see? The outstretched arms of Jesus. And what is Jesus saying to the human family? What is God the Father saying to His creation? God the Father is saying, I love you. I love you enough to give you my Son so that you can enjoy salvation. And so, to reject a loving Savior. And then as we think about the fact that rejecting Jesus is personal, not only does it carry with it the idea of rejecting a loving Savior, but rejecting a life-giving Savior. Jesus came to give us, as He would say in chapter 10, verse 10, an abundant life, a better life, a blessed life. Listen to Him. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Would you agree there are people in our world today, they're looking for a better life? They're looking for what they would call an abundant life. They want it all, don't they? 
Jesus came to give you an abundant life. There are a lot of folks that when they look at the mission and the message of Jesus, and they think about Jesus coming to earth, one of the things that they miss is He came to give us something that we didn't have. An abundant life. I imagine that everybody, whether they live on the West Coast, the East Coast, in the North, the South, doesn't really matter. I suspect that everybody is looking for a quality life, a better life. Do you not think that people today want to be satisfied? They want to be content? They want to enjoy life? Sure. Well, there are a lot of folks that are looking for contentment, satisfaction, and enjoyment in life. Problem is, they're looking in the wrong places. And Jesus is saying, look, I've come that you might have an abundant life. And not only an abundant life, but an abiding life. Now, one of the realities of life is death. And yet I hear Jesus saying in John chapter 8, verse 51, that those who keep His Word will not see death. Now think about that for a minute. Jesus is saying... Well, think about it in John chapter 11. You remember when Jesus was met by Martha, the brother of Lazarus? Lazarus had died. Word had been sent to Jesus that Lazarus, his friend, was sick. When Martha met him, Lazarus had already passed from this life. And she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus is saying, though you may die, yet you will live. That's a paradox, isn't it? So to think that in this life, we come into possession of what is identified by John in 1 John chapter 2, verse 25, as eternal life. We might lose the battle in terms of our existence here on planet Earth, but ultimately we're ushered into another realm. Eternal life. So Jesus came to give us, give us an abundant life and an abiding life. I want you to think about something for a minute. How many folks in our world today, they have it all, materially speaking. Physically, they have good health. They've got good relations with regard to their friends, their neighbors, their family. They have, they've got it all. On the one hand, they have everything. On the other hand, they don't have anything because they don't have, they don't have spiritual life. So if you gain the world but lose your soul, what have you gained? Didn't Jesus ask that question? What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world, loses his own soul? Imagine somebody that accumulates more and more of this world's goods. Got a beautiful home. Got maybe a summer vacation home. Beautiful automobiles. They've got four-wheelers and motorcycles. They've got all kinds of toys. Got land and money in the bank, stocks, bonds. I mean, they've got everything. Good business, but they don't have Christ. What do they have when, when death comes calling? What's in it for them at that point? Let me tell you what. It's a loss, isn't it? It's what Jesus said. 
So I think about rejecting Jesus is personal. Listen again to what Jesus said. He who rejects me. That's personal. Can we reject Jesus personally? Well, he said we can. Now there's a second thought that I want to share with you. First, rejecting Jesus is personal, but secondly, rejecting Jesus is perplexing. Why is it perplexing? Well, listen again to what he said. He who rejects me and does not receive my word has that which judges him. Now I want you to just think for a moment. It is perplexing because, first of all, we're talking about the Son of God here, aren't we? We're not just talking about anybody on the street. But rather, we're talking about people who will reject the Word who is God. Let me tell you what, that carries some weight, doesn't it? You know, it's one thing to dismiss somebody that might be a friend, a co-worker, a classmate. might be something to dismiss a corporate head. But let me tell you what, to dismiss, to reject the Almighty, the Lord, the, the God of heaven and earth. Can you imagine people rejecting the pre-incarnate Christ? Didn't John say in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God? Who is he talking about? He's talking about the second member of the Godhead. And Jesus is saying, he that rejects me. That is, we are saying no to the one who has always existed, who will always exist. The one of whom John said in Revelation chapter 21 is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. It's the very one that Micah wrote about many years ago. And Micah talked about the birthplace of Jesus. He identified it as Bethlehem. And he said, speaking of the pre-incarnate Christ, he said, whose goings forth are from of old even from everlasting or from the days of eternity. How incredible that people would reject the pre-incarnate Word. But not just the pre-incarnate Word, but the incarnate Word. Now John said that the Word was responsible for creation. He was the one that made all things by Him, all things consist or exist, according to Paul in Colossians 1. In John 1.14, John said, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So here is John saying that this eternal Word, who has always existed, the agent by which the world was made, has been clothed in human flesh. He has taken upon Himself the likeness of man. And Paul would say, being in the likeness of man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, yes, even the death of the cross. 
Now John said regarding the Word who became flesh, but He came to His own, and John said, His own received Him not. Imagine that. People in the first century rejecting, rejecting the Christ, the Son of the living God, the one of whom John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John would say in chapter 1, verse 34, that is John the Immerser, he said, I've seen and bear witness that this is the Son of God. We're talking about God's only begotten Son, the only one of His kind. He's unique. So, rejecting the Word who is God. But then there's a second thing. Jesus talks about those who reject the Word of God. Now, I know that we live in a day and time when there are a lot of folks that want to somehow separate Jesus from His Word. But what Jesus is saying is there is a correlation there. You can't separate the one from the other. As a matter of fact, Jesus would say in John chapter 8 and verse 31, He said, Then are you my disciples indeed. Well, how so? If you abide in my word. Now, think for a minute about the word of God. The word of God lifts up Christ, doesn't it? I mean, go back and look at the scriptures. Over and over again, the scriptures lift up the Christ. The Scriptures point people to Christ. Back in John chapter 5, Jesus is engaged in a debate, so to speak, with the religious leaders of His day, and they had rejected Him. In chapter 5, they had accused Him of violating or breaking the Sabbath. They didn't like it because He identified Himself or made Himself equal to God. And Jesus said, search the Scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And he said, these are they which testify of me. He went on to say, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, even Moses, in whom you trust. He said, if you believe Moses, you would believe me. Why? Because he wrote about me. The Old Testament scriptures pointed to the coming of Jesus. Now you think about the Word of God today. When we pick up this book called the Bible, is it not the case that this book is intended to lift up the Christ before us? Now, there are a lot of folks that have dismissed the Lord Jesus Christ. They have waved Him off, and yet they've never taken time to examine this book. They've never taken time to look at the life of Jesus, to see what He's about, to come to an understanding of His great love and mercy and grace. John would write over in chapter 20, many other, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples. Which are not written in this book, He said, but these are written, why? That you, might, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Scriptures lift up Christ. Not only do they lift up Christ, but they lead to Christ, don't they? How would you know anything about the Lord's desire for you were it not for Scripture? Would you know anything about His love, His mercy, His grace? 
Would you know anything about the hope of life beyond this, beyond this veil of tears without the Bible? You wouldn't know anything, would you? Can we tell whether or not there's a God by looking at creation? Well, of course. Design demands a designer. But you don't know anything about the mind of God, the nature of God, separate and apart from His Word. So when I look at the Scriptures, I can make the correlation that the Bible ultimately points me in the direction of Christ. It leads me to the Lord's doorstep, doesn't it? Paul, in writing to the saints in Rome, in Romans chapter 10, and about verse 4, he talked about the purpose of the law. He said Christ is the end or the aim of the law. In other words, it was intended to point people to Jesus. So think about the Jews in the first century. Should they have been able to identify the Messiah, the Christ? Absolutely. They were custodians of Scripture. They enjoyed a covenant relationship with God. If anybody should have been able to ascertain whether or not Jesus was the Son of God, it would have been the Jews. So look at John chapter 6. Jesus identifies Himself as the bread of life. And because He talked about eating His flesh and drinking His blood, many of the Jews, many of the disciples of that day, the text says they went back and walked no more with Him. The Lord Jesus then asked this question, Will you also go away? And listen to what Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. What are you saying, Peter? Peter is saying that through the Word of God, we come to an understanding about the Lord, don't we? That Jesus, that He is the one who offers life. He has a message of life. So, rejecting Jesus, it is personal and it is perplexing. Let me just be very honest with you. You know, when you look at the evidence, when you, when you go back and you look at the life of Jesus and you look at His Word and you read, about, you read about what God thinks with regard to His creation. Now, let's just take it a step one step further. When you read what God thinks about you individually, we're not talking about your neighbor, we're not talking about your mate, your classmate, your co-worker, we're talking about you. When you step back and try to wrap your mind around what God thinks of you, when people say no to Him, if you have said no to Him, it is perplexing. How could anyone say no to the love of God, to the love of Jesus? Do you remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 8? God spared not His own Son, but freely gave Him up for us all. I'm just being honest. It's perplexing to think of how people could say no to Jesus. Third thing, very quickly. Rejecting Jesus is perilous. In other words, it is punitive. Well, how so? Listen again to what Jesus said. 
He who rejects me and does not receive my word has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Let me just ask this question. What are the causes for people rejecting Jesus? Why do, why do people reject the Lord Jesus Christ? Can I give you a couple of reasons? One is because of spiritual blindness. In John chapter 12, we have a quotation from Isaiah the prophet. And Jesus, back in Matthew chapter 13, quotes Isaiah the prophet and says, in effect, the same thing. And he talks about people who see, but he says, they don't see. They hear, but they don't hear. Their ears they have closed to the Word of God. They've closed their eyes and ears to the Son of the living God. Is it not the case that there are some people who are spiritually blind? If you have the time, read John chapter 9 today. And read of Jesus giving sight to a man that had been born blind. And when He did that, the Pharisees, they were enraged. They thought of themselves as the spiritually enlightened. And what Jesus said in effect was, He indicted them for their spiritual blindness. There are folks today that are blind to the truth of God. Paul talks about the God of this age who has blinded the minds of them which believe not. They just don't see divine truth. Not only are some people spiritually blind, but they are spiritually bound. They're in bondage. Now if you ask them, are you caught up in a life of sin? They'll tell you no. If you were to say to them, you know what, you are a prisoner of your own life, they'd say, you're crazy. Well, the Bible talks about those who live in sin. They are the bondservants of that way of life. Listen to Jesus, John chapter 8, verse 34. He said, those who commit sin are the bondservant. They are a slave of sin. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2 talks about people who are taken captive by the devil to do his will. They are imprisoned in a life of sin. Do you know what an addict is? An addict has a problem. The only problem is he or she doesn't think he has a problem or she has a problem. And so because they, they don't see it, they don't want help. There are some people that are spiritually blind and they are spiritually, bond, they are spiritually bound. They're in bondage. They just don't realize it. So it becomes very difficult to extricate themselves from that way of life. It's tough to give up a life of sin, isn't it? And yet Jesus said, if the Son makes you free, you're free indeed. Jesus has the ability to free us. So you think about the causes. But what about the consequences? And Really, this is where the rubber meets the road. What are the consequences of rejecting Jesus? Well, I would say, number one, it is extremely dangerous. I want you to listen again to what Jesus said. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. 
What Jesus is saying is, it is a dangerous thing to turn your back on my word. You think there are folks today that have categorically dismissed the word of God? Do you think that there are people today that have concluded Christianity is not for me? Do you think that there are folks today that have tried to put their slant on Scripture and say, you know what, God may say this, but there are no buts. Jesus said, He who rejects me and receives not my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken. In Revelation chapter 20, John, and John wrote about the, well, John is the writer here. And John wrote some 60 years after the death of Jesus. Jesus in this context is talking about the last day, the day of judgment. John in Revelation chapter 20 saw that great and final day. And he said, I saw the dead, the small and great, standing before God. And he said, the books were open. What books, John? The books that we hold in our hands, the Word of God. He said, the dead were judged out of the things which were written where? Right here. So let me ask you this question. How well do you know the Scripture? And then secondly, are you living in harmony with this Word? Because you see, if your life is out of harmony with this Word, man, you're living, you talk about living dangerously. That's why it is imperative that we know what this book teaches and that we live according to the precepts contained therein. Why? Because this book's going to judge us. It's not going to be a political consensus. It's not about what the majority thinks. It's not about what I think. But it is about what Jesus thinks. And not just what He thinks, but what He says. And so on that final day, I want to ask you, Who's going to have the last say? Now, you know, there's some folks in this world today, man, they are good at getting the last say in. That won't happen on the day of judgment. I promise you that. There'll be no buts. There'll be no think-sos, maybe-sos. But it'll be, did you live according to the book? It is dangerous. And I want to take it a step further. It is destructive. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Let it sink in. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, in your name cast out demons, in your name done many mighty works. Were they religious? Yes, they were. Did they think that they were servants of Almighty God? Yes, they did. Had they made great sacrifices in their lives? Not questioning that whatsoever. But Jesus said, Then will I profess unto them, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Listen to him. I never knew you. Who has the last say? I can tell you who does.
It is Jesus. So when the dust clears and you're standing before God face to face, and let me tell you what, that day's coming. The day is coming when you will stand before the Creator of all the earth. Imagine all those people pressing on, on the judgment. And you're among that throng of people and then your name is called. And you are ushered before His throne. When you stand before the Lord on that day, what's He going to say to you? Will He say to you, well done, good and faithful servant? Will He say, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels? Only two possibilities. I'm telling you, it is dangerous and it is self-destructive to say no to Jesus. Flip side is you need to understand I'm here to tell you the Lord has invested in you as a person. He loves you more than you, can than you can ever begin to fathom. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I do not believe that I fully comprehended agape love until I had a child. And I can tell you right now, I would die for my child. As a parent, I know you would die for your child. Why? Because that's your, that's your baby. And I don't care how old that baby is, it's still your baby. Would you give your baby for the life of another person? Absolutely not. But I'd give my life for my baby. Jesus gave His life for you. And God gave His Son for you. What does that say about how much He loves you? God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If you're here today, and you've said no to Jesus, today is the day to say yes. Today is the day to obey His will. What do you need to do? Believe that He's the Son of God? Do what they did on Pentecost Day, repent of their sin, repent of your sins. They repented of their sins. Confess His name before, acknowledge Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. Be buried with Him in baptism. Your sins will be washed away, Acts twenty two sixteen. God will put you in the church. And if you're faithful until death, the crown of life awaits you. If you're here today, your life is not what it ought to be. We are coming to the close of this year. You know, some of us might not make it into 2020. Will you be among that group? I hope and pray not. But if you don't make it to 2020 and you're unfaithful as a child of God, and you're in trouble. Won't you come as we stand and sing?